Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. This week, we've got a special guest speaker, Kevin Nunnery, youth pastor of Brookwood Baptist Church, is stepping in and continuing our series, Jesus Is, But Also. This week, we're looking at Jesus is the Lamb, but also the Lion. He is our sacrifice who atones for our sins, but he is also the commander of the legions of the armies of heaven who comes to conquer his enemies once and for all. Follow along, and we hope you enjoy this message. Yeah, I'm excited for United Night of Worship. We've been doing kind of an exchange program thing. Uh, Jacob, that, that cool big guy who's up here helping lead worship, he, he's from Brookwood as well. So thanks for letting us be here tonight. I'll tell you a little bit about me because you don't know me, most of you, and that's cool. Um, I'll show you a picture of my family. That's typically what people do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate whoever started that awe. Uh, that's my wife. Julie. Uh, we've been married for about eight years. Uh, the son that she is holding is my son, Joel. He is two and a half years old. And then uh, every picture that we paid a lot of money for that day, my son, Judah, looks just like that with the tongue out. So that's him. That's his whole vibe. Um, that's my family. Uh, we've been at Brookwood for going on seven years now. So love the Greenville area. Lived up here before. Happy to be here. Happy to be with y'all tonight. So you've been in this series Jesus is, but also, uh, and, and I'm excited to be here for that. Um, there's a famous theologian. His name was A.W. Tozer. He's long dead. Uh, but he had a quote that I thought I would share with you I thought was important. He said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So y'all have been studying about Jesus and, and understanding some of the, the different aspects of who he is. And what you think about when you think about Jesus, it matters. So here's what I want to do. Before I really launch fully in tonight into the scriptures and we start talking about who Jesus is, I want to take just a few minutes to just sit at his feet and listen. We talk all the time about prayer being a priority, right? But most of the time, that's just us talking at God, telling him what we need or want. But prayer is a conversation. And in a conversation, it's good to be quiet and listen You know what that's like if you have that one friend who never listens and just always talks. Don't point any fingers, but but we do that with God a lot. So right at the beginning tonight, I want to just pray, and I've got a very simple prayer for you. I want you to just ask God what he wants you to know right now, and it could be different for for everybody. It might have nothing to do with this series. It could be about a situation in your family, amongst your friends, in a romantic relationship, whatever, but we're going to take two minutes to just be quiet and still and try to hear from God. Now, two minutes doesn't sound like a lot of time unless you're doing something that requires discipline. Like if I said, hey, we're going to do a wall sit for two minutes, some of y'all are like, "Mm mm-mm, not me. If I told you we were going to plank to try to build up our core for two minutes, a lot of us are like, nah, I couldn't do that. Some of you are like, oh, that's easy. But, But can you take two minutes to just be still and silent. I was talking to Matt beforehand. I know that last year you guys did a whole series on the practices of Jesus and that one night was on silence. So it's tough in a room with this many people to be silent and still, but we're going to do it. I'll keep the time. But for two minutes, I just challenge you to pray, God, what do you want me to know right now? Let's pray.
God, thank you for speaking to us. Continue to speak as we look at your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that felt very uncomfortable for you, I just encourage you, continue to try to build up that discipline to just be still, to just be silent and listen for what God wants to say to you. It's a, it's a good discipline to practice on a regular basis. All right, so you've been in this series, Jesus Is, but also tonight we're going to be talking about Jesus is Lamb, but also Lion. So when Matt was telling me about the series you guys were in as we were discussing kind of this pastor exchange program that we've been participating in, uh, we got to talking about tattoos. So uh, a, a tattoo artist that Matt recommended to me, I got a tattoo a couple months ago. You can kind of see it on my arm, those of you in the front uh, or those of you in the back with, with good eyes. So I got this tattoo of the lion and the lamb. And so Matt was like, hey, dude, you already have the tattoo, so probably you're very, very well positioned to come talk about this, right? And I was like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. So uh, I do know the scripture because if you're going to get a biblical tattoo, you should probably know if there's scripture attached to it. And so that's kind of our launching point tonight. And I will say to you guys, I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you. So if you're a note taker, a highlighter, there's going to be scripture. We're going to go from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, but we're actually going to start in Revelation. Uh, this is the picture that John gives us uh, in the end times. It says that one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then verse 6 says, Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God, and that is sent out to every part of the earth. So Revelation 5.5, 5, you get this lion, this powerful image, Jesus who has conquered death, right? He has won the victory, and then you get the lamb who looks as if it's been slaughtered. And we sing a ton of songs with this imagery, right? Uh, the lion and the lamb. We, we talk about it a lot, but tonight we're going to push in on that a little bit because they seemingly are, are at odds, but really it does all come together. So we're going to start by talking about Jesus as the lamb. That's probably the language we're the most familiar with uh, and we're probably the most comfortable with. And this idea of Jesus as a lamb uh, who was slaughtered predates time itself, like before not only you existed, before time itself began, this is a concept that God had in mind. First uh, Peter 1, verses 18 through 20, says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And I've got this part italicized and underlined. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. You have to understand, when things went sideways in the garden, God was not caught off guard. He knew in advance what would happen, and he had a plan. It wasn't a backup plan. It was always the plan. And again, we, we see this concept again back in Revelation. It says, And all the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. They are the ones whose names are not written in the book of life that belongs to the Lamb, who was slaughtered before the world was made. This was always the plan. Jesus came to sacrifice himself, and he knew. He knew that's what was going to have to happen. We see this foreshadowed if you go back into Genesis. So the story of Abraham and Isaac. I don't have to read all of this to you, but let me summarize for you if you're not familiar. Abraham has his son Isaac. Like any father who loves his son, 
Uh, he doesn't want to see any harm befall him. But God has told Abraham, hey, I want you to go and sacrifice your son, which seems so anachronistic with who God is, but it was a very common thing in Abraham's day to sacrifice children. And so Abraham gets everything together, and you can see what I've got on the screen here. That Isaac kind of knows something is off because he's like, hey, Dad, we have everything we need to go up on this mountain and make a sacrifice except the actual sacrifice. So what's that about? And what Abraham tells him is God will provide. And so they go up onto the mountain. He ties up his son. He's standing over him with the knife about to plunge it into his son who he prayed for for years, who he loves. And God speaks and says, don't do it because I see now that you'll hold nothing back from me. Man, what a, what a wonderful thing to have said about you. If someone came to your funeral one day and said, you know what? They held nothing back from God. What a beautiful legacy to have left behind. I, I wish that that could be more true in my life than it is today. But I'm trying to grow more and more like Christ. So we'll see. And it's at that moment that Abraham looks. This is verses 13 and 14. He looks up. He sees a ram that's caught by its horns in the thicket. Now, a ram is just a male sheep. You're like, this guy said he's going to talk about lambs. Well, lambs are baby sheep. A ram is an adult male sheep. Does anybody know what an adult female sheep is? A, a, wow, y'all. Dinsky, your crew is sharp, man. They knew. They knew. It's a, it's a U, E-W-E. Um, and so Abraham looks up. He sees this ram caught by its horns, and he names that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Um, and, and I love that, too. I actually I got that tattooed. Do, do you know about this tattoo, bro? I got, I, got, I got Jehovah Jireh tattooed right there too, see? You, you gotta, if you're going to get the tattoo, you have to know what it means. And you got to be really careful if you get a different language because you'll wind up with something, but I, I double-checked. So, but we see this idea of a lamb being sacrificed. Now, in this story, it's just foreshadowing because God says, hey, you don't have to sacrifice your son, pointing to the fact that ultimately one day he would sacrifice his own son. This is something that was commanded in the law. If you get over into Exodus which I think generally is about how far we make it in our read the Bible in a year plan. Is anybody still going through your read the Bible in a year plan? Okay, well, no shame in the game. I, we still love you, and so does Jesus. But we do good with Genesis and Exodus. Leviticus is like, I don't know what's happening here. But in Exodus, it, it, we see that the people were commanded to make sacrifices. It says, every day, two lambs. So one in the morning, one in the evening. Every day, a lamb was sacrificed for the sins of the people. So this is something that the people of God were familiar with, sacrificing a lamb. If you come into the New Testament, we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We have some theories, but it says this about Jesus. It says, our high priest, that's Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Meaning, they didn't have to keep going into the temple and sacrificing day after day after day, slaughtering these animals. Jesus, in his death, was the sacrifice for all time. That's important. Uh, we look at Isaiah. If you, if you want to get into some of the major Old Testament prophets, it talks about Jesus. You get into Isaiah 53, you can read that whole chapter. But this verse, verse 7, specifically says that Jesus was oppressed and treated harshly, but he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as the sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. You even get into John seeing Jesus when he comes to be baptized. He says, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm, I'm really trying to just emphasize this to you. Jesus is the Lamb. We get that. And if you're a note taker, this, this would be maybe one of the things I would write down, that Jesus, the Lamb, takes away our sin. 
And you've probably heard this a lot if you've been in church a lot. And what I'm afraid happens is we, like, we just, we move past this. Like, even right now, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Jesus, he, like, he died for our sins. You should never get over that. Like, if you find yourself desensitized to the fact that Jesus gave his life for you, I don't know that you really get it. Like, stop and think right now. You leave this place tonight, you find yourself somewhere, and someone steps in. Like, there, there's, there's a a car coming for you. You're going to be run over. It's going to be the end for you. Someone steps in, pushes you out of the way, and they give their life for you. You're never forgetting that person. Like, you are only alive because of them. What Jesus has done for us is even more significant than that, but I'm afraid we get into church culture, and we're just like, I mean, yeah, Jesus, he died for us. I get it. Jesus died to take away our sins. That means all the jacked-up stuff that you have done wrong in your past, present, and future, Jesus paid that penalty Never get over that. Never let anybody talk to you. Hey, man, just calm down. It's not that big a deal. It is that big a deal. It's the most important thing that you could ever be excited about. Don't lose sight of that. Jumping into the Psalms tells us this, that he, Jesus, has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And that language, I think, is significant because you can measure north to south, right, from the poles. But, but there is no, there's no way to measure east to west. Your sins are gone, remembered against you no more because of Jesus the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus' is Lamb, does everybody feel pretty good about that? Like we feel okay about the image of Jesus the Lamb who was sacrificed? Everybody okay with it? Okay, thank you. Good, I'm glad. I'm glad like three of you are good with that. Because th- now we get to the harder part. I think, we're, I think we're pretty okay with Jesus as the Lamb. I think we struggle with the concept of Jesus as the Lion, Because, like, what does that even mean? What are we talking about? This is confusing language. Let me tell you where it comes from first, okay? We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. You people who like history are into it. Those of you who don't are probably like, move on. But that's okay. Here it is for those of you who are interested. Genesis 49, 9 through 10. Now, this is Jacob, okay? You probably have read a little bit about his life. Jacob is giving his final words to his sons. And so he's speaking to them individually and, and proclaiming some things, prophesying over their lives. And he's speaking to Judah, and he says, Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares rouse him? Now we get to kind of the important prophetic part. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. If that's confusing to you because you have no idea what a scepter is, What he's saying is the Messiah, the chosen one of God, is going to come from the lineage, from the descendants of Judah. This is spoken thousands of years before Jesus would actually be born. But Jacob is speaking prophetically to his son saying, hey, son, it's going to be through your line. So if you track this all the way down, David, we talk about Jesus being in the lineage of David more commonly than we do Judah. David descended from Judah. So, So that's prophetically what's going on here. But this imagery of a lion, it also works because Jesus had tremendous power. Now, I have kind of a theory. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever seen like a a picture of Jesus, like a painting, picture on the internet. Okay. Keep your hand up if it was a really masculine, powerful looking picture. Okay. Some of you, most of us have seen what I call bathrobe Jesus. Okay. He's got like perfectly quaffed hair. He looks like he just spent like an hour working on it. Uh, He's also white, so there's that. Uh, He's got like beautiful flowing brown hair. 
Um, he's wearing a bathrobe, and he's just kind of walking around. He looks a little bit lost, kind of nice, like a guy who probably wouldn't send his food back if it came out wrong. You know what I'm talking about. Um, some of those pictures, he's even like holding a lamb. We're like, man, Jesus, what a nice-looking dude. Uh, and we, we can get to this place where we think that Jesus is weak. And I think that's dangerous because I, I don't believe that Jesus was weak at all. I believe that Jesus was meek. Now, does anybody know the difference between being weak and being meek? A little crowd participation. I see that hand over here. Do you know? Meek is like submissive. Weak is lacking power. I like that. Does somebody want to expand on that? Any ideas on weak versus meek? Yeah, right here. So she's saying, like, meek has a connotation of, of piety, doing what you're supposed to do, your responsibilities. Okay, anybody else want to try to add to that? Y'all are doing a good job. I, I think you, yeah, right here. Okay, so meek being intentional, weak being you can't. Yeah, I, I, think, I think y'all are hitting it really, really well. So let, let's talk about it for a minute. Someone who's weak can't really do anything. Someone who's meek absolutely can, but chooses not to, right? Someone who's weak has no power. Someone who is meek keeps their power under control. If you're like me and you struggle with anger, and I've struggled with anger a long, long time. Uh, the first tattoo I got is James 1.19. It says, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. The guy who was tattooing this on me was not a believer. He's like, hey, dude, why are you getting this tattoo? I said, man... I believe this is what God has for me, and I really stink at living this out. He's like, well, that makes a lot of sense. You'll see it every day of your life, and I do. When my son does that thing that I've asked him not to do a hundred times, I have to look at this so I don't yell at my son. When I'm dealing with people at work, when I'm dealing with people on Woodruff Road traffic, like, what, oh, okay, I get it. So that, that struck a real nerve. All right. But you know what I'm talking about when you want to beep that horn and roll down the window and not to, like, wave at them and tell them you love them. I'm just being honest. Now, when I go to roll down that window and stick my arm out, it's right there. Be slow to anger. So all that to say, true power is not flaunting it and showing it off just because you can pop off on somebody. True power, true control is understanding. I don't have to do that. I don't have to lose it. I don't have to go sideways on somebody. I can practice some control. Jesus did that. Jesus had all the power that you could ever need available to him, and he chose not to use it in certain situations. Let's, let's look at what Jesus said. This is John chapter 10. Jesus says, no one can take my life from me. Like, please, please don't get it twisted. They didn't take something from Jesus that he didn't willingly give. He says, I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, which he did. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. For this is what my father has commanded. Jesus is like, I'm doing this of my own volition. He goes on to clarify that. In the garden, um, the person I think I identify the most with is Peter. In all of scripture, Peter was a hothead. He flew off the handle. When they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulled out a sword. He started chopping people's ears off. He was, he was about that life. And Jesus says, hey, don't do that because I don't need you to do that. Look what he says. Don't you realize I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? Jesus absolutely could have gotten out of what happened to him. They didn't box him into a corner. He 
chose to do what he did. When he stands before Pilate, this is in John 19, verses 10 through 11, Pilate's like, why won't you talk to me? Pilate was a man of power. He was used to being respected in Jesus. As we looked at from Isaiah 53, 7, he's not really given him anything. Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. So the one who has handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus is saying, dude, I'm here because my father has ordained it to be so. You're just a man. You've, you've got nothing on me. Jesus had all the power in the world, in the universe, and he kept it under control. He's still powerful. If, again, if you're a note taker, Jesus, the lion, righteously judges sin. And this is why I think we're way more comfortable with Jesus the lamb than we are Jesus the lion. Jesus the lamb died for you. You're like, yeah, that's good. I love that. Amen. Jesus the lion righteously judging sin. You're like, ooh, judging. That doesn't sound so good. That doesn't sound right. I don't like that. We don't. We don't like when we're confronted with our sin. But Jesus is righteous. Now, sometimes what we do is this. We'll go, Jesus is love. That's a true statement. But Jesus is no more love than he is just. You cannot boil him down to one thing. I think that's probably been a big takeaway from this series. Am I right? Like, there are a lot of aspects to who Jesus is. He is love, but he's also just. He is the lamb. He's also the lion. And he has all the power. He chose not to use it in those instances we looked at now. But let's talk about that power now. Let's, let's look at some of what he said. This is the very first part of the Great Commission that I think we often skip over, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? You know that. Teach them to obey all the commands that I've given to you and know this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. You know that part. We skip over verse 18 where Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. When you see therefore, you should always ask, what is there for? It's an old, tired, like Bible teacher joke. I get it. But don't skip past verse 18 that Jesus has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth. That's true when he said it. It's true now. Hebrews 1.3. I, I told you I was going to throw a lot of scripture at you. If you won't believe me, I'm hoping you'll believe what God says. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Maybe you've heard that language before and you haven't fully grasped what it means. To be seated at the right hand of somebody, what that means is like that's the position of honor, that's the position of power. It matters. It's signifying to us that Jesus has this authority, this power that he claims he has. We see it again. Uh, we already looked at this verse earlier. We focused on the first part, that his sacrifice was good for all time. But the back half of Hebrews 10, 12 says that he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. This matters. Keep going. Paul in Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says that God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. This will happen. Some of us will freely choose this in this lifetime to honor Jesus for who he is, to bow to him, to understand that he is Lord, 
that we submit and surrender to who he is. Some people are not going to do that in this lifetime, but they will eventually give an account and acknowledge who Jesus is. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He gets all the glory. He has that power. He is the lion. And this imagery is strong. I haven't even got to what I think is maybe the most jarring piece of Scripture that describes Jesus. Now, we've looked some at Revelation. This is towards the very end of Revelation. This is Revelation 19. I I want you to, to see this and consider Jesus as we often think of him in our mind, as we often see him portrayed uh, in these pictures. And I want you to see how that meshes with what we're going to read from Revelation 19. This is John writing as he's caught up in this vision. He says, I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. A name was written on it that no one understood except himself. All right, so just from this part, he judges fairly. He wages righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire. He's got crowns on his head, a name no one can understand but him. Like, this is kind of a strong picture of who he is. It gets stronger. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God, the armies of heaven dressed in its Finest pure white linen followed him on white horses. Okay, bloody robe, little weird. All right, we, we get it. The army is following behind him. An army only follows someone with tremendous power. This, this is kind of the, the crux of it all right here. Revelation 19, 15 through 16. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God. The Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, Lord of all lords. This doesn't exactly mesh cleanly with this idea of Jesus the Lamb. Because this is Jesus coming in full righteous power. A sword sticking out of his mouth. Some imagery. Ruling with an iron rod. You're like, that seems bad. It's not. Because he is righteous. He talks about pouring out wrath and judgment, and it's fierce. You're like, man, but I thought he is love. He is, and he is also just. And sometimes love is justice. But we don't like that part as much. We don't like when the Holy Spirit begins to whisper into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and convict us of sin. We, we don't like that. We, don't, we reject that. But Jesus is the lion. And he's the lamb. He is both. And so, again, if you were a note taker, this would be the final thing for tonight. Jesus, the lion and the lamb, rules and reigns forever. He has all that authority. He has all that power. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. What that means is, hey, look right here at me. You're not. You are not the one who is ultimately in authority. And I know that that might make you feel some type of way because hey, I'm a self-made person, I'm in charge of me, no one calls the shots for me. You have authority issues, my friend. Like, you need to understand that you have to bring yourself under the authority of Jesus. That means he gets to determine what's right and wrong. We live in a time when, hey, if it feels good, if society feels good about it, go for it, whatever that means. Hey, live your truth, be true to yourself, you do you. You hear these types of things all the time. I'm telling you, That's not true. 
That's not healthy. That's not a blessing. That's not beneficial. Jesus rules and reigns forever. Not just up in heaven, but he's coming back to establish an eternal earthly kingdom. And the good news of the gospel is we can be with him forever. Jesus, our lion. Jesus, our lamb. I have my older son who I showed you a picture of. He'll be four next month. We're already trying to build in some of these concepts for him. And uh, he's just now starting to understand what death is. I, I think he caught it in a movie, and I was like, oh, man. And so we started talking about it. He was like, uh, what is daddy dying? That's scary. And I said, son, it doesn't have to be scary. Like, if we love Jesus, dying doesn't have to be this scary thing. We can be with him forever. I started telling my son, hey, Jesus has a, a space just for you. He has a house just for you. For those of you who are seasoned CCM veterans, big, big house came into my mind from, from way back in the day. If you're not familiar with it, you can look it up later. And uh, my son was like, I get my own house, Dad? I was like, yeah. He goes, is it red? Red is his favorite color. That's all. He just wants everything to be red. I said, buddy, if you ask Jesus for a red house, I'm sure he could do that for you. My son immediately was like, dear God, I want a red house. Amen. And like, we laugh, and I, dude, I laughed. It was so funny. But Jesus talks about a childlike faith. Man, there was, there was something moving in that for me because my not even four-year-old son understands on some very basic level that Jesus is in charge and that Jesus can change things. And hear me, my son's not some kind of super Christian. He doesn't get everything right. He punched his brother in the face earlier today. Like, <laughs> he took a toy, and that's what he did. I mean, he was mad about it. And then we, we talk about, hey... We need to ask for forgiveness. We're still working on these spiritual concepts. Please don't think that pastor's kids always have it all together. But, but I was encouraged by my son because he understood that he could ask Jesus for something and Jesus has that power. Do you get that? Like, do you believe that you could ask Jesus for things and he can, he can do things on your behalf? He wants to bless you. He wants to be there for you in a very tangible, real way. Or do you just come in here on Sundays, you kind of do your thing like, you hang out, you play games, you eat some pizza, you see that cute boy, that cute girl, and you go right back to doing your own thing the other six days of the week. If Jesus truly rules and reigns forever, that does mean right now. And I, and I know that sometimes we go, well, when I'm older and I've kind of had my fun and I've done my thing, then Jesus can call all the shots. But please, please hear me. Hey, high school students, who you are today is a lot of who you're going to be tomorrow and in five years and in ten years. If you think, oh, I'll just put it off, you are throwing away time where you could be growing in intimacy with Christ, growing more like him. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of Christ. That's what he wants for you, to bring your life under his authority. So, hey, if you're in that place where you know, hey, I'm good. I know me and Jesus are solid. That's awesome. I'm going to pray for you that that would continue to be more and more true every day. It's called sanctification. It's a fancy theological term to mean more and more like Jesus every day. But if you're sitting here tonight, and, and listen, in a room this size, I, I'm not naive enough to believe that everybody here has just a perfect walk with Christ. I want you to understand that he rules and he reigns, and he wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He is the lamb who gave his life for you. He is the lion who will rule and reign forever. He wants that relationship with you. So if you're in a place of trying to figure all that out, how to navigate it, talk to one of your adults, one of your group leaders, talk to one of your pastors, and don't wait to have that conversation until it's possibly too late. I'd love to pray for you, and then I'm going to turn things over to Matt to give you some direction for where we go from here. Nope, I'm not going to turn it over to Matt. I'm going to turn it over to...
The band. The band's going to come. Yes, I knew there was a band that was coming. I did know that. Um, so band, this is your cue to go ahead and come. And I will pray. And as the band comes, now I'll just wait because now we're like awkwardly waiting for the band. I should have worked out a cue with you guys. I'm so sorry about that. Ah, I'm getting a lot of flack right now. These guys. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Jesus, you are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. Help us to realize, some of us for the first time tonight, that, that means we are not the ultimate authority in our own lives. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly sacrificed yourself for us. We thank you that you got up out of that tomb three days later. We thank you, Jesus, that you will rule and reign forever in an eternal kingdom and that we can be with you always. Jesus, rule and reign in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls now. My prayer as we go into this final song, God, is that if there's one person in this room who needs to take a step, whether that's repent of sin or give you praise and thanksgiving, God, whatever that step might be, would you give them the courage and conviction to take that step? Jesus, whatever you revealed to them earlier as we listened for what you have for us, God, would you just push in on that a little bit more? We love you. We commit this time to you. Speak to us now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.